Welcome to Treasure Mountain, the podcast that inspires and guides us to find the treasure within human experience. I'm your host, Sol Hannah. Before I get started introducing this episode, I wanted to thank those who've supported this podcast and the other podcasts that I've been working on by offering a one-off or recurring donation via the Ko-Fi platform. Not only has this helped uh, pay for some of the costs of recording and hosting the podcast, I've also received really useful feedback uh, from supporters and also some of our listeners, uh, as well as ideas for guests and including for this episode. So a special thank you goes to Karamia, Alexander, Bill, Wilson and Simon for all your support in the past month, as well as all those who've given off a one-off donation. I really do appreciate it. In this episode of Treasure Mountain, we will explore the purpose and nature of Samatha meditation and its relation to other forms of meditation, notably Vipassana meditation, and to the Buddhist path as a whole. And uh, as our guest to help get us a deeper appreciation of Samatha meditation is Professor Peter Harvey. Uh, Peter Harvey did a philosophy degree at Manchester University. Whilst there, he became a Buddhist after attending talks at the Buddhist Society and learning mindfulness of breathing Buddhist meditation. This then inspired him to visit India and do a doctorate of Buddhist studies at the University of Lancaster under Ninian Smart. From 1976 to 2011, he was a lecturer in religious studies at the Polytechnic and then University of Sunderland. He taught Indian religions, the study of religion, and also some philosophy, and ended up as a professor of Buddhist studies, running an online MA of Buddhist studies. On top of all that, he has been a uh, he has been into Buddhist meditation with the Samatha Trust since 1977 in Durham and Sunderland, and since 2015 in York and online. Peter Harvey's publications on Buddhism include An Introduction to Buddhism, Teachings, History and Practices, and An Introduction to Buddhist Ethics, Foundations, Values and Issues. Whilst Peter retired from academia in 2011, he's still teaching meditation online through the Samatha Trust. Peter Harvey has a long lived experience, both practicing and teaching meditation, as well as researching Buddhism, and he's an excellent guest to help us understand the hows and whys of Samatha meditation. So join us as we seek for the treasure within. Welcome to Treasure Mountain, Peter. How are you today? Okay, yeah, fine. Yep, good day. Well, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. And uh, hopefully we're going to learn a bit more about Samatha meditation and its place on the Buddhist path. Um, I'd like to start off, um, uh, and I think a great place to start off an interview is to start with the basics. So what is Samatha meditation, especially for those who maybe aren't too familiar? Right. Well, the the word samatha, it's Pali, means calm, peace, tranquility in Sanskrit. Shamatha, I think in Tibetan it's shinye, which in Tibetan it's, or from Tibetan, it's translated calm abiding. So it's a form of practice which um, usually works by 
working with the breath, mindfulness of breathing, and it develops a very calm, still, focused, alert, mindful state of mind. Sometimes it's seen, it's talked of as if it only develops concentration. And in fact, concentration is one of the, while it's one of the key aspects of the practice, in the sense of a concentrated, gathered, focused, calm state. Equally important is mindfulness, a kind of alert, attentiveness, really great sensitivity and noticing contemplatively what's going on with the breath, the body and the mind. So the aim is to, to develop increasingly deep states of stillness, but kind of alert stillness, mindful stillness. Um, yeah. And it kind of works on the assumption, but based on experience, that as well as the kind of surface of the mind with its wandering thoughts, worries, concerns, plans, emotional turbulences, kind of in the background is, is a, a kind of source of deep calm stillness and brightness. A particularly nice quote from the suttas, which I like and is related to Samatha, is this mind is brightly shining, but it is um, defiled by visiting defilements, the hindrances. So uh, mm. that background brightness is certainly not in, an enlightened state, although it gets developed in the history of Buddhism into the Buddha nature. But it's once you get some sort of experience of that, it is a very good basis for developing both calm and insight. I'm curious, do you think that um, that state of calm, that state of stillness, is that, could we understand that as being like the natural state of the mind, but it's covered up with all this distraction and thinking and wanting, and through samatha, we're just gradually letting go of all that thinking and doing. Is is that one way to understand it, do you think? You could say that, although if you call it the natural state, that implies that sometime in the in the past you've experienced it. And right, right. Okay, okay. You, even a very young baby has potential defilements, whatever. Um, yeah. So it's in Theravada, I'll be done with theory, there's the idea that the mind is flashing in and out of that state all the time. Um, hmm. But normally it's yeah, it's covered over. Yeah. With right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm going to go off on a slight tangent here. Uh, I want to know if Samatha meditation is the only form of meditation that you practice and teach, or do you teach other forms of meditation as well? Right. Well, my main practice is form of mindfulness of breathing to develop Samatha, but you can also hmm. develop Samatha by focusing on elements of water, fire, and air, things like that. Um, loving kind, kindness practice is something which I practice on teeth, and that technically comes under the broad heading of Samatha. I also do some vipassana or insight, contemplation of impermanence, uh, painfulness, non-self, um, mindfulness of walking. Uh, in the Samatha Trust, there's quite a lot of Dhamma discussion, uh, sort of study. And chanting, chanting is a very important aspect of our practice, uh, not just as a, a bit of ritual 
before you have the real stuff. But when you really get into chanting, it's just part of the practice. It does cultivate some of the similar states, like energy Mm. and joy, and and also understanding. Yeah. Wow, that answer causes me to have a lot more questions. But one of the things I really um, wanted to ask was, you said that there were almost like different types of meditation that lead into samatha. So in one sense, we don't do samatha meditation. We for instance, might do breath meditation, which leads us into samatha. Is that is that, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. Well, I mean, mindfulness of breathing can be taken either in a samatha direction or a, a vipassana direction. So it's a, so okay. it can go both ways and can include elements of both. But in something like Buddha goes as Bisudhi Magara, path of purification. There's a whole list of focuses, possible focuses of contemplation. Um, I mean, some devotion, if you contemplate the qualities of the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, that can develop samatha. Not as perhaps as deep mm-hmm. as mindfulness of breathing, but, you know, so yeah. Samatha, it can, the word can be used in two ways. For a quality, a state of mind, and then the kinds of practices that lead to that then become called samatha meditation. Ah. A bit like vipassana. Vipassana is insight. And then the practices are particularly aimed at cultivating that, yet called insight meditation in Vipassana. Right. And of course, what you're saying is that there are, there's, there's multiple practices potentially that could be used to lead to samatha, a still, calm, tranquil state of mind. Yeah, that's true. But I, certainly yeah. certainly amongst Western Buddhists, the, if, if you like, 80% is mindfulness of breathing. <laughs> Right, 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 which, of course, is pretty um, universal. Um, so it's not the only form of meditation that you teach, but it's still um, a very, very important form of meditation. Could you outline the benefits of and the reasons for practicing samatha meditation? Right, well, I'll start at the more beginning level, first of all. So it helps you develop less mental wandering and unhelpful thought patterns. So it makes you e- easy to concentrate on other things as well as, as meditation. Obviously, increasingly deep calm and inner stillness. And with calm comes uplifting joy and easeful happiness. Um, there's a big role for joy, energized joy in the body and the mind in samatha. It's a kind of energizing aspect of the practice. Um, also develops equanimity, so you're less buffeted by the ups and downs of life and of your own emotions. It helps you become stronger in your character emotions. You can be more your own person. You can be more together. Um, You can be um, uh, more in charge of yourself, things like that. But if you've got a nice, calm center, Broadly speaking, <laughs> comes and goes a bit. Uh, you can also be more open to other people and their needs because you've got a kind of secure basis within you, so to speak. Um, and then, if the mind is very calm and clear, then there are. It's easier to develop insight because I mean a, a silly um, example: if you're driving your car and the the car windscreen is all dirty and misted up. You can't see where you're going. If you clean the windscreen, you can see where you're going. <laughs> so, right, Samatha, right, so right. to speak, helps clean the windscreen, uh, particularly the right. in, in the yeah. It gives more clarity. Yeah, okay. 
Um, so it, it does help as a basis for what we fasten our as well. Yeah. So th those, okay. those are things but... which gradually build up through cultivating the various stages. But it's, it's a slow, gradual process. You're developing skills. Mm. Sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back. Or two steps back, one step forward. The main thing is facing the right, <laughs> facing the right direction and using the tools of practice and learning to get better at using them. So it's one right. it's one thing uh, having a, a toolbox of tools, but you need to know how to use them well. Absolutely. That's I really like that um explanation. And it sounds like there's it's beneficial in and of itself because it can lead to, well, calm and stillness and even joy. And then also it has leading on effects because it can lead to cl greater clarity of insight as well. Yeah. So that's, that's really good. Um, now, one of the questions, uh, this is a little bit more of a technical question. How does Samatha meditation uh, help to develop the Buddhist path of practice or where does it fit in to the Buddhist path of practice? Right. Well, for example, no blade. The factors of the noble eight factor path. The eighth one is right concentration. That's defining the suttas as jhanas, and that's you get the jhanas from samatha meditation. Um, if you look at the list, like the seven factors of awakening, mindfulness, investigation, um, vigor, energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, equanimity. There's a that's almost that's a very kind of samatha pro progression. Um, and the five faculties, trustful confidence, energy, mindfulness, concentration, wisdom, you've got some of and we pass in all these kind of lists in, in different kind mm. of balances. And there is one of the, one sort of, which simply says, what is the path to the unconditioned Nirvana? It's Samatha and we pass So they are like two hands that work together. There can be di different emphasis in how these are developed, different orders in which they are developed. Um, the, there is, I mean, there are things called dry insight, which uses very little samatha, but um, people in samatha that's a bit dry. <laughs> Lots <laughs> a bit of sap, so to speak. Okay, okay. Well, that actually leads me on to the next question. This is a, a bit of an area of controversy. Because um, in recent decades, as you'd be aware, there's been a lot of interest and practice of so-called vipassana or insight meditation. Uh, often this is traced back to traditions that originated in Myanmar with teachers like Mahasi Sayadaw. Um, some people who follow uh, in this practice, in this uh, kind of insight or vipassana practice, might say that developing samatha meditation is just a distraction on the path and that it's not really needed to attain awakening. How would you respond to this kind of criticism of Samatha meditation? Yeah, I think that development started in the 19th century, took off in the 1950s in Burma, Myanmar, and then spread more widely. I think it was part of a kind of modernization of Buddhism and also making meditation more available to lay people. But in the process, they there was some throwing out the baby with the bathwater in terms of criticism of some forms of samatha and also the idea that, oh, you need very, very long retreats to get really developed samatha. I think in more recent decades, 
And I think there's been an increasing reinterest in Somerton through a range of teachers in, in Asia and the West. So I think it's kind of starting to get a bit more rebalanced. Um, as it happens, uh, some of the classroom teacher, my boomer, he was a Thai monk in India who came to the UK and actually disrobed partly because at the time there was a, this big strong surge of in, emphasis on we pass and our summit is no good. And he thought, no, this is what I want to preserve and pass on. So he, he was very traditional teacher in, in that respect. Yeah. Was um, Nye Boomin, he was involved in the Samata Trust in the early days, is that right? Well, he's our, he's our root teacher, he's still alive, he's in his 90s. Ah, and he, really? Goodness. Yeah. Okay. And he came to um, England in 1962. He was in India, he disrobed. He came to England uh, on the back of a motorbike with a friend. He connected with the Thai embassy taught a little bit of, uh, taught some meditation and then some people in London and particularly Cambridge University are kind of, uh, he taught them and that was the, the kind of ultimate root of the Summit of Trust, which actually is a trust mm. developed in the early 1970s. So, uh, yeah. Oh. Okay. Um, go on. No, so he, he has his roots both in um, classical um, sound them, but some of the later traditional developments of that. Uh, but yeah. Right, right, right. Now, I did want to just pick up on something you said earlier as well, uh, which is that um, Samatha meditation can help to lead into the development of insight uh, of, into Vipassana. And you mentioned previously that they kind of work together. Uh, could you elaborate a little bit upon this idea of how Samatha meditation can assist uh, in the development of insight. Right, okay. Not so much that Samatha on its own develops insight, it develops to an extent, but it gives a very good foundation for it. Um, Samatha, when it really gets the mind into a very calm, still, joyful state, leads to what are called the jhanas or absorptions, which can be very rich in joy throughout the body, happiness throughout the body, and then letting go of those and more equanimity, etc., and great clarity. It's quite interesting that the suttas imply that in the fourth of the four jhanas, that's the most mindful state. So, as I say, mm. there's a tendency to think, oh, mindfulness is vipassana. Well, yes, it's using vipassana, but it's also equally important in samatha as well. Um, so if you get the mind into a very clear and gathered state, and in, the, in order to do that, you have to let go of various things. In particular, first of all, the five hindrances, desire for sense pleasures, ill will, dullness and drowsiness, restlessness, unease, and vacillating doubt. To be able to get the mind into jhana, you've got to learn to let go of those. Um, and then to get to the second jhana, you've got to let go of certain qualities in the first jhana. And then you need to let go of joy, etc. So it's a process of increasing letting go um, and developing the heart, heart mind, if you like. And for cultivating very uplifting, pleasant experiences, but learning not to be attached to them. Uh, we pass mm. has a tendency to say sometimes, uh, oh, deep calm on the jhana, oh, you can get attached to them. 
Well, you can get attached mm. to anything, including Vipassana space. <laughs> so it's for us getting better at learning not to get attached to things. And in fact, one of the practices I do based on the suttas is trying to get my mind as calm as I can in a sit. And then from that very calm state, stepping sideways slightly and reflecting this state is conditioned, dependent, impermanent. It's, it's not quite what I want it to be often. <laughs> it fluctuates, so it's dukkha. <laughs> and I, I can't possess it, it's non-self. So you can develop very deep calm and then reflect that even this very, very pleasant, calm, equanimous state is conditioned, no, nothing to get attached to. So if, if you shouldn't get attached to that, how much more so the more ordinary everyday stuff? Also, mm. also, mm -hmm. if you can get the mind into a very calm, gathered, joyful state, when you come back to everyday consciousness, you think, hmm, yeah, this, this is obviously more limited than the state I've just been in. So it helps you, it helps everyday insight quite a lot all vipassana or insight that develops in samatha meditation is when you're not meditating but you're kind right. of experiencing things in a reasonably calm mindful way and you you don't need to get attached so much to this and that in the ordinary everyday world because you've got a kind of very calm joyful refuge to go to but you shouldn't get attached to that either <laughs> <laughs> yes well i like the way you described uh the meditation as progressive states of letting go yeah. um that was quite appealing but it also sounds to me like there's a bit of a symbiosis between uh the samatha and the vipassana so ultimately we should be trying to use a bit of both uh we might need some vipassana for instance would we use it for instance to uh find skillful means to overcome hindrances would would that be right um well yes um we pass in the house that but sometimes plenty of skillful means so ah. hindrances too <laughs> okay yeah, yeah. i mean like to, to counteract them in very I mean, like for example loving kindness which is coming summer to practice counteracts second hindrance of ill will for example right and you need to rouse some energy to do summer to practice and it then develops more which counteracts third hindrance for example so well, in both in Samatha and Vipassana, it's developing skills. And mm. you get developed skills by practicing them. Um, and of course, yeah. if you're learning a skill, it's useful to have a practical teacher. So you might say Samatha, but also Vipassana. It's like you need a good teacher, and it's like an apprenticeship. You know, mm. an important part of Samatha certainly is reporting. You know, when somebody's learning the practice and even when they've learned it, to report to their meditation teacher regularly. Uh, and the teacher can get a sense of, hmm, yeah, you, you kind of, you've got that teaching and practice, but you're kind of using it not quite right. You've picked it up, you've picked up the, the hammer and using it inappropriately. <laughs> you know, like when you're trying to hammer in a, a nail, sometimes you bang it too hard or it bends. Well, if you, apply meditative practices with too much effort, for example, it doesn't work, or too little effort. So you need to balance, balance, and getting feedback from a teacher helps that. Yeah, I suppose as, as a, a beginner especially, you, you wouldn't necessarily know where you're going wrong 
you might know that you're stuck, uh, but you wouldn't necessarily know how or why you're stuck. And that's where a teacher can really be helpful. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, on that note, um, let's say, for instance, someone was listening and they're thinking they'd like to practice this summer to meditation. Uh, what advice would you offer them in terms of getting started with this practice? Right. Obviously, depends on if there's actually an in-person class available to them or at least a retreat they can travel to and depending on part of the world if they're in, etc. Um, there are various more summer teachers around. Um, in your part of the world, Western Australia, there's Achan Brahm, uh, who mainly emphasizes a summer approach. As it happens, his very first teacher in the UK was Nyboonman. So this that's where yeah I was think I recognise that name <laughs> yeah anyway um, so yeah he's in Western Australia uh, in America for example there's Lee Brassington written a book Right Concentration a Practical Guide to the Jhanas um, another summer summer to type teacher Shaila Catherine you know if you Google some of these people you can get some information an important Burmese teacher who teaches. Strong summit, but also Vipassana is Pa Pa Auk Sayador. Um, American this Tanisaro Bhikkhu, who, um, and in the Tibetan tradition is Alan Wallace, uh, written a book called The Attention Revolution. So, mm. um, you do a bit of googling or find out in your local yeah. area. Um, and of course, as well as person-to-person classes, retreats. There are also some online classes available uh, or podcasts uh, and YouTube videos from various uh, teachers as well. So YouTube videos, if you like, would start to give you a taste of. Um, yeah. I mean, as it happens, yeah. some of the trust since COVID, the use of Zoom, um, I already had an online class based on written text and person-to-person reporting, uh, but I'll also do a Zoom class now. This year, there's been a big boost in the number of people. So I've got currently about 45 people in the class and therefore not really any room wow. for any more. <laughs> but I started each, yeah, October, okay. each October and it runs for about 30 weeks. So that teaches various stages of mindfulness of breathing that we use, plus relevant theory that helps practice. So just to, I just wanted to follow up on that. So you gave a lot of different names mm. of teachers who are teaching Samatha meditation. And, and I think that there's these days there's quite a lot of resources available online, podcasts, YouTube, and so forth. Um, and that's that can be a very good place to start. But you also said that, you know, especially if you start to get a bit stuck, it could help to get some direct advice from a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Um now, so that is that correct? Yeah. If you can get it. Okay. If you can get it, and that's, that can be tricky. I know some of the people who are listening to this podcast uh, are not necessarily close to such teachers. Yeah. And uh, in, in geographically speaking. Yeah. I mean, in my um, current class the other night, I had people from five continents on the Zoom class. <laughs> really? Goodness me. Yeah. Right. Now, I guess that leads into uh, a question about the Samatha Trust, um, because you've been practicing and teaching with yeah. uh, the Samatha Trust in the UK for a, a good many years, decades. Yeah. Uh, 
Could you tell us, first of all, a bit about the Samut Trust and its courses, including their online courses? Because I believe you're not the only teacher with the Samut no, Trust as well. No, there's about we've got about 124 teachers. Uh, about, what are our figures? 73 men, 51 women. That was in 2020. So we've got about um, 26 classes around the, U, uh, the UK. Um, got some in Ireland, some in Germany. Uh, some in, in the US. Um, so our teachers are also, in, obviously, in, in some of these other countries as well, but it, it developed in the UK. Um, we've got a retreat centre in Wales, and then we've got a, a centre in Manchester and one in Milton Keynes. Uh, so there's a series of retreats at, uh, at some of these centres um, uh, from, if you like, late spring, going to through to the autumn, some in the winter as well. Um, some events, occasionally there are online days, uh, things like that. The online course, which I teach um, with the help of various other summer teachers. So it starts in early October, runs through to about June or a little bit later. Um, it's a combination of written teachings, which I've developed over the years, give, which I used to give out face-to-face classes. And then the Zoom class and recordings of those classes. So we teach the way we teach mindfulness of breathing. Um, a very one aspect of it, which is different from most other people, is we never use the normal breath length. We use different breath lengths, starting with what's called the longest comfortable breath without straining. And um, this is partly so that, well, the way our teacher puts it is. You just use the normal breath lengths. It's more easy to just drop into normal everyday states of mind rather than developing more different or skillful states of mind. Um, and because we use four different breath lengths, so it's longest, longer, shorter, shortest comfortable breath, you need, there's more things to be mindful of. You need to sense what's uh... the breath doing now. Ah, oh, we need to change the next breath now. And the four different breath lengths have slightly different effects on the balance of mindfulness and concentration. I sometimes compare them to like four gears on a car, you know, <laughs> whenever. Yep. Um, and then we have stages where you count, and this is not counting at the end of a breath, but like the longest breath, you count slowly from one to nine on the in-breath, nine back to one on the out-breath. So you need to be aware of the breath, where we are with it, aware of the, do the count in a live way, not automatic way. Whereas on the shortest breath, you just count like one, one, etc. Um, and then we have stages where you don't count. You just follow the breath in a very full and complete way. Feel of the breath in the body, from the nose down to the navel and back up. And then what's called touching, where we just focus, feel of the breath, nostril, a nostril. And then when that starts to work, and you get what's called a nimitta. It's a kind of mental impression of the breath, which might be visual, a kind of patch of light, or it might be some new tactile sensation, say, it's something called settling nuts, when the mind can get really, really very gathered, and you can get strong joy and happiness developing, etc. So there are stages to learn gradually, bit by bit, by bit, by bit, by bit. Um, there are also some shorter online courses where a variety of teachers maybe teach something for eight weeks or whatever. 
so we've got those two forms of the kind of more structured course, which I teach, and then these shorter ones. And then on the structured course, um, all the new people have a weekly report online. So I take quite a lot of those, but there's a, and then others, teachers take some reports like that. So, uh, like Tuesday afternoon and early evening, most of Thursday up till tea time, I'm taking reports at certain times. You know, log in at this time and we'll chat for maybe 15 minutes, something like that. So, um, right. Uh, and I should actually just say before I go on any further that there will be a link in the description below, which is to the Samadar Trust. So, if you want to explore more of what the Samadar Trust has to offer, you can do it via that link. <laughs> um, I, I have to, I have to ask you one more question, yeah. um, because uh, it's out of my own curiosity. I've, I've not heard of those, um, different techniques, like the different length breaths and the counting and watching the mm -hmm. breath in different parts of the body. Is that, what do you call that? Is that a skillful means to help focus the mind on the breath? Or is there some other reason for doing that? Well, the counting, following, um, touching and settling, actually goes right back to, you can see it in the path of purification. So it's very, very traditional. Uh, the different breath ah, lengths. Okay. Yep. Um, we're not quite sure whether that's something that Nine Boomer developed, but if you actually look at the description in the suttas, uh, in, in the Mindfulness of Breathing text, it starts off, um, breathing in long, like breathing in long is, I know I'm breathing in long, breathing in short, and the simile is of a wood turn on a, on a lathe. It says when he makes mm. a long turn, he knows that. When he makes a short turn, he knows that. Well, those are deliberate actions. They're not just how the, how it happens to be. So, and so there's, uh, if you generate or guide the breath, say to be nice and slow and long, you need to be very mindful to do that. There's a certain knack in doing it. And also the process of slowing down something makes it easier to be mindful of. Um, and also as it happens, and I slow deep but not horse breath physically has a calming effect as well yeah mm. okay well look this has been really fascinating uh peter i've really enjoyed this um but i think we might leave it there unless have i missed anything that i should be telling our listeners about regarding uh samatha meditation and perhaps how they could get um be, get involved in samatha meditation mm -hmm. if they aren't already no, just do some Googling and reading, yeah. I tell you what, I can finish with a, yep. a Pali chant, a blessing chant. It's a, sh a okay. short one because, in a sense, maybe it conveys something of the the tonality and feeling of Samatha. So oh, please do. That? That'd be a nice way to end. Okay. <clears throat> <clears throat> Pavatu sabha mangalam rakantu sabha devata sabha buddhano bhavena sadda soti bhavantu te Pavatu sabha mangalam rakantu sabha devata sabha dhammanu bhavena sadda Suti Bhavantute Bhavatu Sabha Mangalam Rakhantu Sabha Devata 
Thank you goes to Peter Harvey for joining us, joining us on this episode of Treasure Mountain, in which we learned about the whys and hows of Samatha meditation. And if you want to know a bit more, please look at some of the links in the description below. If you have enjoyed this podcast, I'd appreciate it if you could share this episode with your friends or other people who you think could benefit from its sage advice. Treasure Mountain Podcast is part of the Everyday Dhamma Network. You can find out more about the Treasure Mountain Podcast by going to the link in the show notes for this episode. Uh, you can also find out more uh, via the uh, by going to everydaydhamma.net uh, and to seeing previous episodes and guests as well as transcriptions of interviews. I hope you'll join us again for our next episode of Treasure Mountain Podcast as we seek for the treasure within. Thank you.